Hello, everybody. It's Kim Scott back with the Just Work podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Ernest Adams joining Kim Scott for episode three. Excited to be here. Very excited to be here. Ernest, thank you so much. I will I have to tell you that as a result of feedback from other folks and also just feedback from my gut, as we have been reading sections of Just Work, I realized I should have edited it one more time before it got published. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is painful. It's a painful realization. But it's also great because the paperback is coming out and there's the opportunity to offer a revised version of the book for the paperback. So that's a long-winded way of saying I'm going to read some revised. I'm, I wish we're starting now. Chapter one of the new Just Work is going to be, and we're going to change the title also. Oh, yes. okay. Yes. Uh-oh. So, Do you have that title, title picked out yet? Uh, tentatively, but you know, now that everything is being edited, I can change everything every five minutes, which is my happy place. (laughs) So the title right now is Radical Respect. What do you think? Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. Feel free to write in if you hate Radical Respect, if you love Radical Respect, let, you know, we'd love to hear from, uh, from listeners. All right. So let's jump in. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. This is the beginning of the new chapter one. A big part of why I wrote this book is to recognize the essential role of people who stand up to injustice. For every bad experience I've had as a woman in a workplace, I've had multiple good experiences with people who were there to help me navigate and offer support. I am so grateful to these friends, colleagues, employees, bosses, and even strangers. They are upstanders, and they far outnumber the people who cause harm. Upstanders fuel my optimism that we can solve the problem of workplace injustice. Upstanders have a responsibility to intervene. Upstanders are essential to a culture of radical respect. Not only do they help targets of bias, prejudice, and bullying feel less alone and less gaslighted, they also provide clear feedback to the person who caused harm in a way that minimizes defensiveness and max oops and maximizes the odds that the offender will make amends. Everyone feels better about the workplace as a result. Upstanders also lead by example, encouraging others to do the same. They demonstrate that disrupting bias, prejudice, and bullying can be done without much risk, as much risk as many people fear. They create a virtuous cycle. If you witness bias, prejudice, or bullying, you don't want to be a passive bystander who simply watches harm being done, perhaps feeling bad about it, but not doing anything about it. Instead, you have a responsibility to take action to intervene. Admittedly, you can't always solve the problem, but you can always show solidarity with the person who is being harmed. That acknowledgement that something is wrong here is invaluable. In homogeneous environments, being an upstander is crucial, especially if you're in the majority group. Being part of a small minority or being a minority of one is exhausting. Let's say each person in a group of 10 says or does something biased once a week. If you're the target of that bias, you're experiencing it nine times a week, even though each person is doing it only once a week. It's fair to ask, it's not fair to ask the one person both 
to put up with that annoyance and to do all the work of educating everyone. So I'm going to stop there. We can read more, but I would love to get your thoughts on, on this is on starting with upstanders instead of people harmed. Yeah, I like it, Kev. I like it. I think, you know, what comes to mind in, in a very visual picture is you're talking about upstanders and that, that one person who's getting that, taking it over and over again, I just think of a paper cut. Yes. And you think about every day you cut yourself in that exact same spot. Yeah. That paper cut is now going to turn into a pretty sizable wound. Yeah. And that wound is going to be one that is going to be very difficult to heal. Yeah. Because how, you know, the place it is, how annoying it's going to be. And that's exactly what I think you're talking about. So I think it is great. The thing that comes to mind for me, Kim, is how does a person become an upstander? Right. Mm -hmm. Because, because, you know, it's easy for us to say stand up in the face of bias, prejudice, bullying. But for a lot of people, it's really difficult to step into that role and say, I'm going to use my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Really hard to do it. And and it also feels, I want to acknowledge that it feels risky. It feels yes. risky. Yes. Uh, so one of the things that I talk about early on is the, the, the reason why it's, it, it may be safer than it feels for upstanders, mm-hmm. because if, I agree with you. I I really love the paper cut analogy. The other analogy that I use is it's like repetitive stress injury. Yes. And, but the thing is that with paper cut or, or repetitive stress, these are things that we do to ourselves. Yes. But with bias, prejudice and bullying, it's things that other people do to us. Mm -hmm. And for the, for the upstander, especially the upstander on a homogeneous team, or for the person who caused harm, it feels to them like no big deal because mm-hmm. yeah, they made a mistake, but you know, it was just a, you know, just, I just said the wrong thing. Yeah. But if you're on the receiving end of it and it's the, the ninth time that week, the same thing has happened. It is a big deal actually. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that's where upstanders can play such a vital role because the upstanders, they're strengthened in numbers. Mm-hmm. If you're an upstander, you, you are, you know, you're, you're, you're one of a, a group of people and right. it's, it's, it's also, you're more of a neutral third party, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. easier actually, and more efficient. I like the yeah. efficiency. There's a justice argument to standing up to injustice, That's but true. there's also just an efficiency argument. Like it's mm-hmm. much easier for the person who said or did the bias or prejudice or bullying thing to hear it from someone else than to hear it from the person they harmed. That's true. I That's think true. It's le- it feels less personal. It, le- it feels less personal and it feels, uh, um, I think that person can come at it from a different point of view. I mean, you made a comment and you said a homogeneous team, an upstander is a part of the majority and a homogeneous team. I, I also, Kim, go to my mind. I mean, I, I had an experience in my career where I had a working at one of the Fortune 500 companies that I worked for and a very senior, one of the members of the C-suite was a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the only black man on that C-suite. But you know what? What I often found was he was able to be an upstander. Yeah. For across all because of his level and his position as well. Right. Where he was still the only one in the room, but he was able to be an upstander for gays, for Asians, Mm -hmm. for Latinx populations. And so I think also there is upstanders come in many different sizes, formats. 
Um, it just really just depends on who has that ability to be able to step forward. Yeah. And I think it's, it's natural if you are, if you are uh, underrepresented along some dimension, it comes more naturally perhaps for you to recognize the different forms of bias, <laughs> prejudice, and bullying and to be compassionate. Right. So, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, I would argue it wasn't fair that the one black man in the C-suite had to be the upstander for everyone. Like there were, if there were nine other, you know, uh, white people in that C-suite, they should, they should, why should all the work fall to the one person who's underrepresented? I, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's a fairness argument there. However, I remember having many conversations with him to say, you know, he would, he would express, he was tired. He was yes. tired of always yeah, being the one. And, and my conversation to him was always back, but we need you Yes, in the fight, right? Yes. Because if, if he's sitting in the seat, so again, it goes back to something we talked about, I think it was in episode one, which is around privilege. Um, you know, if you're sitting in that seat, you have the opportunity to do so. But, but if I go back to the question I asked you around the character traits that it takes to become an upstander, I mean, I think one that you've talked about, you talked about compassion. You also talked about empathy. And this yeah. to me is like the quintessential defining uh, leadership trait of a quality leader in 2022, 2023, which is the ability to be empathetic. Yeah. Right. Because when you can do that, it doesn't seem so threatening anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to, to see beyond your own lived experience. Uh, So, so if I were talking to that C-suite, I would have, I would have tried to spend a lot of time with all the white people in the Mm C-suite saying like, it's just not reasonable to expect the, you know, one yeah. person to do all this work. This yeah. is the work of management. Like if you want to create a, a team that is mm-hmm. optimized for respect and collaboration, this yeah. is work that, that everyone has to do. You can't leave yeah. it to the, to the, I mean, it's, it's true. It is right. true that, uh, that the underrepresented person on a lot of the work falls to that underrepresented person, but it's not fair. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Kim, the other thing I love about this framework is, you know, I've worked at large companies. You've worked at large companies. Not every company is large, right? I'm doing some work with a startup right now. Smaller organizations who haven't defined leadership principles yet and who don't, who haven't done that work. You and the language of upstander is language that can be implemented quickly without having done the whole leadership competency development work. Yeah. Right. Because you can just say, this is really around being an upstander, using your voice to make sure that people are, are, are being nice to each other and getting shit done. Yeah. 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 Being like fundamentally kind and being kind doesn't mean lowering your standards. Not at all. Raising your standards actually. Yes. I think there's, there's another couple of things that are springing to mind as you're talking, Ernest. One is there was a, there was a woman I knew, a white woman I knew who was the only woman on, on a leadership team in the C-suite. Okay. And and the CEO of that company was a misogynist. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. <laughs> and it's unfortunate. And yes, it is yeah. unfortunate, but it happens. Yeah. And he would say things like there was a someone was up for promotion of vice president, and this the person who was up for promotion uh, was a woman. And he said of her, oh, you know, she's got great tits and ass. Uh, Let's promote, you know. And I know, I know. And this was (laughs) like a well-known company. And 
and the woman on the on his team kind of looked around the room at the because mm. there were a number of other men on the it's team. Happened many times. Yeah, happened yeah, many times who, to me. Yeah, who you could were... have said something. Is know? anybody else hearing this? Is anybody yeah, else hearing this? Yeah, yeah, and and, and and I knew a lot of the other men on that team, and and a lot of them were wonderful. I'm sure they were just as appalled by. Mm what he said as as the woman on the team was but no but nobody said anything and she she really felt bad about not being an upstander in that moment but she said you know it is not it shouldn't be my job and my job alone to point out that this is not acceptable this kind of behavior is not acceptable Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that none of the men in the room whose eye she caught didn't step up and, yeah. uh, and, and be the upstander. So I think like that's an example of, of real wow. upstanding. And, and I think part of the reason why it's so important is, is obvious. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he shouldn't yeah. have said that. And it yeah. wasn't fair to the woman who was up for promotion uh, who's actually went on to be a very important executive at this company, by the way. Um, but the other the other thing is, I'm sure that not only did it bug her later, I'm sure it bugged several of the men in the room later. And I, I really yes. thought about this recently. My, my son, who's a white boy, uh, ex- saw one person bullying another person at school. Okay. And he didn't know what to do. And so he didn't do anything. And it bothered him for weeks after. And so I think it's important to remember if you're not, there's an enlightened self-interest aspect to being an upstander. Because if you're not, you wind up being slimed by someone else's bad behavior. And it wakes you up at three in the morning. Like it, it, the, the bullet, if you don't stand up, then you yourself kind of get bullied because you're not being your best self. That's right. I mean, I, I have a quote. I think I talked about this in our first episode, which is just really, um, I heard someone say this, which is if you choose, if you choose not to stand up for what's right, then you're choosing to have inner turmoil and conflict in your life. Yes. Yeah. Right. Which I, which I think is that what you're is saying. That is really I, beautifully said. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is. I, I think it's so poignant. But but another public service announcement I want to make, which is that <laughs> don't come back to that woman after the meeting and say, I'm really sorry that he said that. Because yeah. here's the thing, if you choose not to be an upstander in the moment, <laughs> don't go expect empathy from someone afterwards yeah. for not upstanding in the moment, right? And, I, and yeah. I, I've, I've had that happen so many times, Kim, where someone will come up to me afterwards. I can't believe he said that in the meeting. And my response always is back to that person. Why didn't you say something back? Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Although I will say that sometimes, sometimes... I feel the, the incessant apology and demanding empathy of the people who are harmed is bullshit. It's uh, bullshit. Totally, totally, totally agree. <laughs> 100% agree. I also, like there was one, there was one time when, I think I told this story uh, before, but when I was on stage with two colleagues who were men, we were being introduced and the guy yeah. shook the one guy's hand and, and then and then he kissed him like he slobbered. He didn't just kiss my hand. He like <laughs> slobbered on my It was disgusting, you know? Uh, and and that was bad. Like that was bad enough. But what was almost even worse was that nobody came up to me afterwards and said, Gosh, that was gross. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Yeah. Uh, so I think when we that there's there's an organization that used to be called Hollaback, 
and uh, and they change your name, and I can't remember what it is, but but they they have this uh, thing called the five D's for being an okay. outstander. Okay. You want to do it, if possible, directly, like say yes. something in the meeting if you can. Yes. That's ideal. Yep. Uh, but sometimes delaying and just checking in with the person later mm-hmm. is is legitimate. I mean, not mm. not doing it as a way to let yourself off the hook for not yeah. having stood up, yeah. but just to check in with that person. Because if you don't, then often they feel gaslit. Like, did mm. anybody else know that he said like that, that he said that he said yeah, that yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. I think also sometimes just creating a distraction can be mm. helpful in the mm-hmm. moment. Um, if the person who's being harmed is, uh, it, you know, is ca- kind of in danger, and you're not sure what to do about it. So, like, yeah. there's this um, a funny example of this. I don't know, funny, but but. Uh, a notable example of this is uh, called Snack Man. There was somebody was getting on a subway. Her boyfriend was kind of chasing her onto the subway, and it was not like not clear if she was okay. Okay. And and there was a guy on the subway car, and he didn't like what was happening. But this guy was kind of much larger than he was, and he didn't know what to do, so he threw his potato chips everywhere. <laughs> And it created a distraction. distraction. She actually jumped off the train as the doors Mm -hmm. shut. And and so like that was better than nothing. Um, You can also delegate. You can find like that was what my the the woman on the team was trying to do by catch someone's eye. Like ask someone else to deal with this if you don't feel or you can document like sometimes just, yeah. put, you know, and you want to be careful how you document and you don't want to post it on social media without checking in with the person who got harmed. But, but I as an that- HR guy, I like, I like documentation, right? It's always yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Kim, I hear all that and I, I have, I have mixed reactions to it. I think the five D's make sense to me, but I think it also depends on frequency Yeah. of how it, how, how many times it happens. Yeah. Right. If if this happens weekly in staff meetings, yeah, and you choose to create distractions every week, yeah, that's instead not okay. of saying it's not okay, right? Or if this happens and you, you know, I, I I think don't come up to me afterwards every week, yeah, for a month yeah. after these yeah. meetings and say I cannot yeah. believe he still keeps saying that, yeah, when you have you're one of the majority in the room and you could actually disrupt it and you could actually stop it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think frequency is really important. And also severity of it, yeah. Because if this is something that is really serious, I think you. So, so I, I think I think those make sense to me. I would just put in place a couple qualifiers. I think. Yeah, you know what else that's coming to mind is that it really depends on what your role is. If you're a leader, uh, like all those uh, other, 100%. all of yes. all of the peers yes. of your the your your colleague yeah. who's the only black man in the yes. in the C-suite, and my colleague who's the only white woman in the C-suite. Yes. All her peers, all their peers, all his peers and her peers had the, had power, and so it yes. was their obligation to intervene. Absolutely. I think. Uh, and intervene directly. They had yes. the power. You know, there's so there's a uh, in in this in this first chapter. I start with a with a an example of how this okay. works. Okay. Should I read it? Yes, and that'd be great. Tell, tell me if you think I should delete this story or if you like. Okay. Okay. okay the story is called the baby shower. A manager, Todd, walked into his staff meeting one morning complaining because he had to attend unconscious bias training that afternoon. 
I don't believe that unconscious bias is a real thing, he declared. Oh, boy. Ever heard that before? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Uh, it was an uncomfortable moment. Todd had seven people on his team, six men and one woman. One woman. The men were squirming in their seats uncomfortably, each wishing the other would say something to Todd, who was notorious not only for his bias, but his prejudice and bullying as well. They all felt slimed by his bad behavior. Adriana, the only woman on the team, decided not to say anything. It was her job to be a great software engineer, not to educate Todd about his attitudes and behaviors. She wished someone else on the team would say something, though. Later in the meeting, a man named Ty offered to buy a baby gift for another colleague who was going out on paternity leave. Nah, Adriana will do it, Todd replied, gesturing toward her with his thumb. Women are better at that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, boy. Adriana was, this is a real story. Adriana was in the middle of a critical project on a tight schedule. She didn't have time to collect money from 30 people, select a gift, buy it, and wrap it. But she did it anyway because it seemed faster than arguing with Todd. As a result, her schedule slipped a bit, which slowed down the work of four other people as well. Meanwhile, her colleague Ty had just wrapped up a big project and had a little slack in his schedule. That was why he offered to buy the gift in the first place. He felt bad about the whole thing. He didn't say anything, but he knew how busy Adriana was and he felt bad. The whole thing was so stupid and woke him up a couple of times in the middle of the night. He felt weak for not pushing harder. These moments can sabotage an organization that's running smoothly. When office housework tasks default to the person on the team with the least time to do them, that person's productivity takes a hit. And when one person's productivity takes a hit, the whole team's work suffers. Let's go deeper on how the men on Todd's team could have used I, it, or use an I, it, or you statement to be a better upstander and to intervene. The kinds of bias, prejudice, or bullying that may be happening on your team may be very different. Maybe they have nothing to do with gender and everything to do with race, religion, or political affiliation. No matter what kind of bias, prejudice, or bullying is happening, you can intervene. So what do you think about that? It needs editing. I hate reading my stuff because I see all the problems with it. That's why it's so hard for me to read. But anyway... It'll get There's a, a couple better. places to streamline it. Yeah, a couple yeah. places to streamline it. But but I think I think the, the the overall story, seen it happen many times, and I think that's right. I think it's right that, look, that was a great place where he chose inner conflict in his life yeah. because he chose not yeah. to do the right thing, right? But yeah. but you know, Kim, what else comes to my mind is that's a great situation where being an upstander in this situation could have been he could have gone to Adriana and said, "Hey, look." I'm sorry that happened. I'm still going to yeah. go do the gift. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm still yeah. going to go do, I, I'm yeah. still going to do it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to even argue with Todd. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And I think that could have been another way of being an upstander. So to your point earlier, there's multiple ways of demonstrating that because in that moment, demonstrating being an upstander to support Adriana. Yeah. Versus being an upstander to, to disrupt Todd were two different things. And there were two yeah. opportunities there, I think, yeah. to be upstanders. Yeah, and I would say there's also a third opportunity, which someone else on the team who's dependent on Adriana's Absolutely. work could say, hey, I need Adriana to finish her work. Let Ty yeah. buy the damn gift. You know, that, <laughs> that exactly. probably would have been the end that Ty maybe would have said, oh, yeah. And, you know, and then they could decide, do they want to engage more deeply with Ty about yes. the fact that yes. 
what he expressed was probably not unconscious bias. It was actually prejudice, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, like my mind goes so many places with that. We can, we're going to have to pick it up on the next one, but you know, like what if Adriana in that case would have said, stood up for herself and said, I got work to do here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Right. Like where does that go then? And what path does that go down? I mean, that that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Or I don't that... have kids either. Like yeah. and, and over there, he's got three. He probably knows. Exactly. 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 I, I've seen that situation play out too, but I think, I think that's a great example. And it's almost like a choose your own adventure Yeah, because there's so many different ways that one could, could actually play out. Yeah. And could have played out in a way that would have been both more fair and more practical. Like, where yeah. people could have got shit done fast and fair. I mean, you know, you, you read that example and, and ultimately your mind just goes through, God, we get in our way so much yeah. of just being good fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> because because <laughs> at the end of the day, if the, if he would have just treated her with respect, yeah. you know, and, and, radical and, and respect. As a, radical respect. And as I've said to many leaders, would you want someone doing that to your daughter? Would you want someone doing that to your wife? Yeah. Typically they're going to say no. And I'm like, then yeah. why are you doing it to somebody else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is, it's really, it's rough. Uh, and, and yet, you know, it is, th- this is, this is the work that we need to do in order yes. to, in, in order to achieve the results that we want to achieve. I think there's so, so often people think that talking about bias, prejudice, and bullying is the distraction, but it's not. It's bias, prejudice, and bullying that are the distraction. That's right. That's right. Well, good luck. Good work on the rewrite so far. I think it is. I think it is coming along nicely. And I I really love the opportunity, like I said, for every person, no matter who you are, no matter what your leadership frameworks are in your company, to use language of upstanders, to use this language of, of bias, prejudice, bullying because it really does establish a common vocabulary quick that's rooted in humanity, not in a leadership framework. Thank you so much, Ernest. I'm going to, I've got several things I'm stealing from you to put in the book. (laughs) Maybe you're, maybe you're going to become a co-author. I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, that'd be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right, Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care.